welcome to Renewable Roadmaps, the podcast series exploring the different routes, roles and projects within the renewables industry and it might be slightly biased towards offshore wind at the moment. I'm your host Chris Kinane, I'm a podcaster and also a recruiter in the industry. RRS, who I work for, have got some very interesting data on the talent market in offshore wind and we'd like to share that with you. So please get in touch for more details, especially if you're planning on building any teams. Welcome to episode 11 with Raseem Harris, who is not only a neighbour of mine, but also an extremely knowledgeable and helpful chap within the industry. Raseem is the Head of Business Development and Principal Consultant at Offshore Wind Consultants, and also a Shadow Board Member of Renewable UK. He has three major qualifications and a really interesting route into the industry. Here we go. So, hello, Rasim. Um, great to have you on. Thanks for taking the time today. Firstly, must uh, must mention the fact that when we connected, we found out we live quite close by to each other here in Manchester, um, and you are a United fan and I'm a City fan, but I think that's a conversation for another time. Um, but no, thanks for coming on. Can, can you introduce yourself, everyone, please? Sure, Chris. Uh, thanks a lot for the invite. And uh, of course, we are neighbours. And it doesn't prevent us to be on two different sides of um, the city when it comes to football, but we can we can have a chat uh, separately on this matter. So yeah, thanks a lot for for for, for the opportunity. I'm Rasim Harris. I'm currently the principal consultant and the global head of business development within Offshore Wind Consultants (OWC). We are part of um, a wider group um, now called the Aquarius Prima LOC Group where we provide pretty much um, a lot of services covering all the um, offshore and um, marine and obviously offshore wind for the renewables part uh, activities from the early um, phases of the projects till the implementation and the commissioning. So the whole value chain is covered within our almost thousand experts on board across, I think three, five countries. Um, so we are, we are really pleased to be part of, of that group and obviously I'm more on the offshore wind part of it um, so we can we can go through that later on. No that's brilliant and I think to start us off your journey into renewables is, is really quite an interesting one. Where did it all start for you would you say? So I was born and, and I grew up in Algeria originally so when I was 16, I had to make a proper choice in terms of career um, development. Um, so I joined the, the National Higher School of Offshore Engineering, dealing with um, anything dealing, uh, I would say, with the marine sciences and, and coastal engineering and, and all the civil engineering part of that. Um, I went on a five-year curriculum, and my plan was to um, be an offshore engineer um, dealing primarily with um, oil spills management. So if you remember the um, the Deep Horizon incident uh, with BP in the Gulf of Mexico, I was designed to develop simulation tools um, to prevent that kind of incidents and provide decision-making tools for, for the maritime authorities uh, to prevent such incidents. That was uh, my curriculum originally 
obviously, um, I started working in research centers, developing those tools with uh, the Sunatrack, which is one of the major oil and gas companies across the MENA. Um, that was in the southern part of the Mediterranean. And then I decided to move um, to France at the European Institute of Marine Studies in Brest, where pretty much half of the European research on um, the marine um, uh, industry is taking place even now. Um, I went for a master around um, coastal uh, management, um, applying all the geomapping tools uh, to uh, the marine environment, the coastal one. So um, there, in, in, in Brest, uh, I had the opportunity to work with the French government and the maritime authorities on pretty much updating all the um, maritime uh, procedures for uh, marine pollution. And you know that France um, has been hit by major uh, incidents like the Amoku Cadiz in 78 and, and the, the prestige uh, across um, the, the French and the Spanish coast in 2002. Um, so I did that actually as a base case on Normandy. So I had to validate um, across all the coastal line of Normandy, um, all the elements around how to, to operate um, the uh, emergency maritime um, process in case of marine pollution, especially in the channel where you know, it's uh, one of the heaviest maritime routes in the world and with a very narrow corridor. So any tanker or super tanker with, um, with a lot of oil in uh, could, could, could be very, very, very damaging to, to the coast. So that was, um, that was my kind of very first part of, of, of the career. And then I have been dragged into offshore wind from that point uh, simply because um, one of my previous mentors was uh, working for a big consortium in France on, on the very first projects. And he basically recommended me um, to, 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 to be on board. So I ended up at WPD, where I started as an offshore engineer in charge of uh, the environmental aspects, but also the geosciences aspects and the maritime safety and security uh, for the projects in Normandy. I then evolved to manage the very first uh, environmental impact assessment uh, in, in, um, in France for the very biggest projects back then. That was FECOM project. So I worked for two years uh, managing 25 expertise studies, managing surveys, um, and obviously securing afterwards the, the very first permits of the offshore wind um, uh, project in France. Obviously that was very challenging uh, just to put things into context, um, this was uh, the very first project in France and the way the authorities, the environmental associations, the fishermen, communities, and actually the general public behave was um, doing or was putting a lot of scrutiny on, on the project. So that was a challenging part, but we, we, we made it. And I'm really glad that today, um, six or seven years following that process, the project is a, has started the construction a couple of weeks ago. So, so that was that was um, really the main achievement. Then, uh, following that period, I moved into more operations management offshore. So I had to go uh, to the Coursel project 
in uh, in uh, in Normandy still, but uh, on on the other part of the Normandy, you know, um, the Seine River is dividing Normandy into two parts. So that was on the D-Day beaches, Couchon-sur-Mer, um, with a lot of uh, challenges, both technical, historical. We had to deal with um, the veteran associations from the U.S. Um, just to give them uh, confidence that what we are doing is the right thing to do uh, in the memory of all um, the soldiers that unfortunately lost their lives um, in, 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 during the Second World War. And also because of the, um, the nature of the, of, of, of the area with all the, the UXOs, so the unexploded ordinances from Second World War and the LMB uh, mines from Germany made with aluminium that made the surveys very, very complicated to detect those LMBs. So we had to go through a triangulation of uh, sites, sites kind of um, um, pictures along with subbottom profilers and obviously all the magnetometry surveys around that to detect um, those LMBs and actually detonate them. So um, I was on board uh, offshore for, for, for uh, almost um, two months uh, on, on board, um, not in one shot, but um, on, on, on several shifts. And I was lucky to um, detect some of those and, and ask for the French Navy and, and all the, um, the divers to, to, to come around and, and detonate them because this is basically the future site of the project and we need to have full clearance on site. Um, so that was really, really interesting. And then we went into more the drilling part with um, taking samples across pretty much all the um, all the sites to make sure that um, whatever we have as, as a sample um, from a geotechnical perspective, but also from a geophysical perspective, would uh, input into the, um, the ground model that we were building. And this will be uh, very valuable for uh, not only the construction, but also the installation and the operation um, phase of, of the wind farm once, um, once built. So that was a really, really interesting part. In the meantime, I went to Marseille uh, for, for another master on applied um, oceanography, where I had to work on integrated maritime policies across the Mediterranean. So from Morocco to Lebanon and back to, 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 to Spain, um, so that was very, very interesting, and I was working on maritime highways concept. Um, so, um, so that was a really a good experience as well. And then um, I decided that I had a very good technical background on offshore engineering, environmental sciences, the way we need to um, manage the, the coastal environment, etc. And I really wanted to have more insights on uh, the way business are being run, um, businesses are being run, when, especially in, in the offshore wind space, because that was uh, my, my passion back then. So I went to the University of Berlin for a proper MBA on renewables and energy efficiency. Uh, that was the unique program back then in the world. And I'm assuming that now there are other programs similar to that one. But what I liked the most was the fact that it was purely based on uh, renewables and, and energy efficiency. And guess what? Even my MBA thesis was based on um, on offshore wind with the, with the Siemens technology for the transmission parts. I applied that on the, on the, on a real offshore wind uh, business case, um, 
and we had very, very promising results. And I ended up actually being hired by Siemens in Manchester. That's the reason why we, we meet here now, uh, simply because um, Siemens uh, globally is operating from Manchester, uh, their center of competence when it comes to offshore wind, um, offshore wind grid access. So uh, I was rather on the sales and the business development part of it. And because of the global remit, uh, the UK was um, obviously the home market and, and one of the biggest uh, in the world, if not the biggest. Uh, but because of my history around the North Sea and, and France and, 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 and other parts of, of, of the globe, I, I had a chance to, to work on um, US projects and APAC projects and, 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 and um, European ones, both on the AC um, connections, but also on the DC technologies with, uh, with our colleagues in, in the headquarters. And um, yeah, following four fantastic years at Siemens, um, I decided that I needed to go um, somewhere else to cover another part of the supply chain following a very nice journey with the developers, utilities, OEMs. Consultancy was appealing enough uh, because I could apply both my technical knowledge and, and also my, my um, um, business development um, skills. So I ended up at OWC uh, where I'm, I'm currently um, working on global projects on both technical parts, but also on, on the business development part. We are growing a lot um, globally, so um, it's a very, very um, nice place to, to be on. And, and, and beside all those activities, as you may know, I'm also part of the Shadow Board of Renewable UK. I'm sure um, you've had a um, couple of discussions with them already, uh, so I'll try to, <laughs> to cover other topics if, if, if you don't mind. No, absolutely. And such an interesting journey and, and to go from the initial stuff, uh, you know, to do with oil spills, which, you know, is environmental to then sort of, what is it, two masters and an MBA that you've got as well then? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, really impressive journey. And I suppose what, what, what did the, um, taking it back just a little bit, with the transition from, from the oil spill stuff going into the renewables piece, how, how easy was that to sort of, transition into would you say so uh, as i said i'm environmental engineer by background so even if i was working on the oil spills part of um, the industry my main target was just to limit that as much as possible not to have any particular harmful impact on the environment uh, the transition into offshore wind obviously naturally there is the offshore element of it but clearly um, the, the angle I attacked the renewables was still with my environmental background around the environmental impact assessment, around the permitting, around the acceptability of the project from a technical standpoint. So I had basically to negotiate with uh, a lot of environmental associations around, okay, what the impacts is on the benthic flora, what the impacts on the on the burrs, uh, what the impacts on the sediment uh, transit around the foundations and the score protection on all that kind of stuff. So that was the kind of the entry point uh, for me into um, the offshore wind space. And obviously with practice and the um, learning by doing uh, approach, 
um, and, and, and with a lot of amazing colleagues uh, with EDF and, 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 and WPD and, 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 and Siemens, you know, the, these are big, big names and, and, and very established ones. Uh, you, you learn a lot and, and, and you start developing yourself into um, a wider spectrum of responsibilities and, and, and scopes. And this is how I ended up um, covering um, a large, uh, I would say, part of, uh, of the industry in different functions. Yeah, brilliant. And, and that brings you up then nicely to your position at, at OWC. So what, what does your role look like these days? So at OWC, uh, I've got the double hat of being a principal consultant, so acting as a project director on behalf of um, very big clients across the world on uh, governmental leases. I'm, I'm sure you know you know what's going on in, in the UK, but we work also elsewhere in, in other jurisdictions um, on, on particular um, governmental uh, processes where we support clients from uh, site selection um, uh, to um, proper bid development for their offers to the government, uh, to technical due diligences for the different transactions we see now in, in the offshore wind space. I'm sure you know that um, a lot of um, players who weren't traditionally interested in offshore wind are really keen now to jump into this space because of the green recovery momentum because of the need to decarbonize all the assets and because of clearly the, the, the right way forward from a corporate perspective um, on, on their side. So we, we enter, we, we've got a lot of involvement in the different transactions when it comes to technical due diligences. So we try to, 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 to cover that. And not only in the UK, you know, we've got really a global remit. So we try to do that. And then uh, because we have a lot of projects in operations, we, we, we manage that as well on behalf of the clients, uh, providing project management um, packages, but also technical expertise packages and also mine warranty uh, services uh, along with our LOC colleagues. Um, so we try to cover pretty much the whole spectrum of um, offshore wind uh, projects. And, and the other part is obviously related to uh, the business development. Um, so it's about um, making sure OWC is pretty much well positioned in the markets when it comes to, uh, to, 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 to the different offerings we have, but also representing the company in, in, in various events um conferences um thought leadership pieces um white papers um and for instance this week i will be moderating a session in apac um, on the offshore transmission so we'll be covering the japanese market the korean one the taiwanese one the indian one um the philippine um the philippines and, and also australia so um it's it's just a part of this um overall uh, role but it's very exciting and because of the industry is booming it could only be beneficial you mentioned the green recovery from the, over the past few years what what are the major changes that you've noticed in the market would you say so we over the last few years i think the cop 21 was a game changer in the mindset of um, the policymakers in the mindset of um, the industry and in the mindset of the general public. So now we've got a really a big change in, in the way we perceive um, the decarbonization of our economy 
and the pace at which it needs to be done. So um, obviously we went through that process. We knew that a lot of big corporations, traditionally oil and gas oriented, um, were just thinking about a strategy of decarbonization, but very, very long-term. Um, now things are being accelerated heavily. We see a lot of oil and gas majors uh, just trying to accelerate that process, selling their assets or investing um, in, 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 um, in more, I would say, greener assets um, because this is the future. And economically, it doesn't make sense at all to project yourself into an industry based on oil and gas in the next 12 to 15 years that doesn't make sense at all so this is by obligation for some players and um, this is by conviction for others so so um, that was an interesting part of of of, of the overall um, dynamics we, we we see now but clearly we are going into the right direction pretty much uh, across the whole spectrum that's brilliant. And you mentioned earlier the, the Renewable UK Shadow Board. Can you explain a little bit more about your role and, and, and what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, to Renewable UK, uh, thanks to um, Hugh, who is the current CEO, who will be leaving soon, um, Stephen from um, Equinor and Lindsay from Scottish Power Renewables, those guys had the vision that they needed to be challenged uh, because they are part of the main board of Renewable UK and they could only be challenged by a younger generation, um, a little bit more engaged and uh, who will be taking the leadership in, in, in the future and representing pretty much all the industry uh, across all the members of Renewable UK. So that was the origination of, of the project. Um, I'm part of a bunch of uh, young and, and, and really passionate people uh, across the industry from uh, with different backgrounds and different uh, expertise areas from policy to technical parts to marketing to um, really um, pretty much uh, a lot of uh, activities across the industry and what we do um, is one we challenge the main board in terms of direction and decisions being made before the, their approval we also provide the technical expertise in different areas. For instance, we provided a lot of support in um, the value uh, members uh, we, we see for, for as a charter for, 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 for all the members we have, but also we promote and play a lot of um, advocacy roles in the different conferences. And we try to simply inspire the next generation of renewables and energy efficiency leaders uh, that will be coming up uh, soon, whether they are um, still at a younger age than ourselves, but also uh, the wider industry to, to apply for, 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 for this um, kind of role whenever uh, our term is, is over, probably uh, by the end of this year. So this is something we, we are really proud of, of being part of. No, that's really interesting that they, um, they asked <laughs> to be challenged, but I think it's, yeah, it's necessary, isn't it, I suppose? And is it going to be a cohort coming in to, to um, fill the gaps when you guys move forward as well? And really interesting. And COP26 is coming up this year. Do you guys have involvement in that? And, and what does that look like? 
So yeah, I think um, given the headlines around COP26, whether whether it's going to take place this year or it's going to be postponed, etc., I think we, we we will have the answer shortly um, after Easter, uh, which is pretty much now. Um, so at Renewable UK, we've got um, Nathaniel Bennett, who is the um, the head of um, public affairs, and, and he's actually the director of the COP. So um, what we do, we, we've got a lot of um, targets this year. So um, in terms of uh, what we're trying to do is working on market and policy development, uh, showcasing the benefits for uh, the, of the industry for the global audience, you know, that the offshore wind story in the UK is um, a base case pretty much for the whole world. So this is something that we can um, showcase uh, to um, a lot of people to, to try to inspire them and, and, and see how they could adapt um, the success story in, in their respective countries. We are also supporting the UK government um, in diplomacy and also around the narrative. I'm pretty much sure you're aware that um, COP is by definition a diplomacy exercise. Um, so we, we are trying to, to support that and support um, all the departments involved from DIT to the FCO and number 10 and base. So um, we, we, are, we, are, we are providing all that support. And ultimately what we're trying to do in a very practical way is to just represent all renewable uh, UK members uh, through our activities, through the com communication campaigns we are planning, but also um, doing um, the physical uh, event if possible in Glasgow in November, if things um, may remain and change. So this is really what we do. Uh, supporting um, uh, Nathanael and, and the team in, in, in promoting that. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I mean, your full-time job sounds full on enough and, and it seems like you're very passionate to, to give things back. And you, you did a conference recently as well with, is it, is it SNAME? Yeah, so SNAME is um, the Global Society for Marine Engineers and, and um, and naval architects, they're based in, in the US and they have pretty much uh, tens of thousands uh, of, uh, of members. So they've asked me to provide them with some insights around the complementarities between offshore wind, uh, the floating one and oil and gas, because traditionally a lot of members are from oil and gas and they're looking at their next move in terms of uh, transition into what is becoming mainstream, let's call it, let's face the reality. Um, so um, that was that was just um, a very snapshot of um, the way um, offshore wind, specifically the floating one, is learning from the oil and gas, but also adapting to its own features. And because of the global portfolio, whether we're talking about Europe, um, US East Coast and West Coast, and even Hawaii, and also the, 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 the Far East around Japan, South Korea, um, Australia, um, there is a clearly a very clear path for everyone to get involved in, in, in those um, uh, dynamics that we see now in the markets. I'm sure you, you've um, welcomed um, uh, Carlos uh, from Blue Float who took you through the, the floating journey. So clearly we, we are at another dimension now in, in terms of um, in terms of deployment of the of the projects and, and, and their planification by the different 
um, governments across the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it is, it's, a, it's an interesting um, topic is, is, you know, the oil and gas, uh, oil and gas transition skill sets into offshore wind and, and what that might look like and when that might happen. And I suppose it's looking like floating because there is a lot of synergies. Nia yeah, Carlos did, did, um, did talk about those in an earlier podcast as well. I mean, we're, com- we're coming towards the end of this now, um, Asim. I think we'll definitely have to get you back on for an update in future. A few more questions, though, before we do sort of finish off. So y- you are very passionate about the industry. You're very passionate about helping people as well. Um, what advice would you give to someone that, that might want to get into the industry um, is maybe still in education or, or, or yeah, just, just wants to get involved in the industry? So what we try to do um, at Renewable UK specifically, we try to promote um, the different renewable um, jobs and opportunities there are in the industry. We have some specific days where we promote that. So I would definitely encourage them to be part of um, the feeds of Renewable UK to, to, to get that. The other thing is quite simply, um, if, um, if they are really passionate about um, renewables, I wouldn't recommend any specific um, training or um, education courses because uh, clearly the technologies are very diverse um, and the opportunities are around um, the country. So um, there are a lot of um, um, associations that promote um, what they really want to to do in terms of um, their future. So um, I think... um, with net zero, with uh, the offshore wind sector deal, and with um, the, the the number of jobs to be created, I'm pretty much sure there is um, still room to a lot of people from the upcoming generation um, to, 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 to look forward to. And um, last but not least, I'm really happy to provide any um, advice on, 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 on a one-to-one basis to, to anybody uh, from, the, from the audience. That's absolutely fine. That's brilliant. Final question then, Basim. What, what does the future of the industry look like to you? I think we are very, very lucky to, to, to be in the UK with a clear vision when it comes to the decarbonisation of the economy with the net zero 2050 and 2045 for, for Scotland. Um, offshore wind-wise, the sector deal and the ambitions are absolutely... Uh, second to known when compared to what we see elsewhere in the world. We're really showing um, a lot of leadership out there. Now the the, the industry will need to um, keep the momentum, um, um, increase the local content part because this is really important. It's not about just um, importing um, kits from, 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 from overseas. It's also about building that. I think we are on the right direction with a lot of... Um, commitments from big names. We've seen GE lastly doing that. I think with the Scott Wind update, with the clear targets on the local content, it really drives um, things into the right direction uh, for, for, for the benefits of the local communities and the local governments. Um, and also um, there is a very big question mark around um, the grid, um, great capacity to absorb all this um, ambitious portfolio. I think um, there are a lot of scenarios on the table. I'm pretty much sure we will figure it out uh, by the end of this decade, especially on the east coast of, of the UK. 
um, I'm really hopeful um, that there will be some uh, efficient um, clusters to, to connect everything into the grid. Um, but clearly, yes, the, the, the simple answer to your question is, I'm very hopeful for, for this industry. Um, I think we've got uh, the right people to drive that forward. I think we've got the right experts to do that and the expertise and the ambition and the passion of the people to, to do that and harness uh, wind from, from, from the North Sea and from the Irish Sea and, and get it as a backbone of the energy mix in the UK. Great answer, very exciting times ahead. Um, yes, 100%. So yeah, Vaseem, we'll, uh, we'll have to call it there, but thank you so much for taking the time and we will certainly be getting you back on in the future. Thank you very much, Chris. And I'm looking forward to Lukas' uh, podcast in, in the summertime as well. He will take you through uh, what's going on on, uh, on the Baltic side and, and, uh, and Poland in particular. Well, indeed, very exciting times in Poland as well. And yeah, that, that episode will be coming up in, in the next month or so. So yeah, oh, stay tuned for that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, Chris.